Sometimes it just takes 1%, one percent, one measly percent to make all the difference. Sometimes you gotta hang your hat on one percent. Sometimes one percent just might be enough. That's next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Those with COVID beards, unite. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I've been saying it for years and I have a face for radio. And if you saw me right now, you would know that to be exactly the case. Matthew here. Welcome aboard to another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. The podcast designed for myself and all of you to find little ways to show gratitude. And sometimes it can be tough. And sometimes the method for discovering why we need to show gratitude is sometimes staring us right in the face. And a lot of the times it's something that hovers right in the middle. And sometimes we're not just always aware of those things. So this podcast is designed for that. That's what it's all about for me to share a little bit with you about how I can and sometimes struggle to find the gratitude and the things around me and the things that have been given to me and the things that uh, have been afforded to me that I might not recognize. And hopefully, maybe showing you some ways where you can also find the gratitude in those things as well. So, I'm sure I'm probably also not the only guy over the past year, who has simply said, you know what, razor blade, take a break. I'm going to keep you in your little cubby hole. I don't want you to get COVID. Just stay there. I'm just going to let this thing grow and see what happens. And, you know, it really, it was my wish, I guess, that I was going to emerge from COVID hibernation and that miraculously, My beard was going to look like Ben Napier, you know, from hometown on HGTV. My wife's addicted to that show. And I think really secretly, she might be sort of addicted to Ben's beard. So I thought, you know what, maybe I can try and do the same thing. But, you know, there's just this thing about like the beard has to be the right fit, you know, and there has to be places in the beard where it just looks good. And if you have these spots and places like I do where things just kind of don't grow very evenly, then once it kind of grows out, then you realize how really not all that great it looks. So I've been trying to just let it go, but I think I'm almost at the point where the COVID beard is going to go by the wayside. That's my feelings so far as of today, this, the 20th day of March, which, by the way, is the first day of spring, and it's also really a mere matter of days before baseball starts. So I don't know if you're a baseball fan. I am. I have mixed feelings this year because technically my team, the Cleveland Indians, this will be the last year that they will be calling themselves the Cleveland Indians. I say that with a mild bit of trepidation, though, because our owner 
was on a roundtable this past week and said that that might extend into the following year. So that really opened the floodgates. Like, what does he mean by that? I mean, why would it take a year and a half to figure out what you're going to be calling yourself? So there must, must be some hidden intention behind this statement. That being said, this technically is the last year that my team will be calling themselves the Indians. And we've already done away with the Chief Wahoo mascot. And I wish I could say that our home has done away with the Chief Wahoo mascot. My wife feels a lot more strongly about it than I do. I've sort of moved myself off of Chief Wahoo. My wife still is clinging to it. So she has this beautiful long parka that she wears in cold weather. And we still, even though we've had sun-drenched days, we have been experiencing some still cold weather. And she wears her Chief Wahoo-laden parka proudly. She's not giving up easily. The Wahoo symbol is you know, connected a lot to my youth. It's connected a lot to her youth. But, you know, we as uh, understanding and uh, all-inclusive people realize that this is probably not the route to go. And we're both perfectly fine with the team changing its name. Well, I mean, we're 99.9% fine with it. Uh, but <laughs> that being said, baseball is right around the corner. And uh, so we're pretty happy for that. I know I've made mention in the past on this podcast that one of the things that we deal with here in our world is my wife's Alzheimer's diagnosis. So the tough thing about this diagnosis is that people will say, well, how's Donna doing? And she really doesn't know how to respond to that. And at some point, I really don't know how to respond to that because if somebody cuts their hand and you say, how are you doing? Well, you know, the healing process has occurred. And over a period of weeks, you can definitely start to see maturation happening and you're moving towards the ultimate goal of maybe having a small scar. And that's pretty much it. But in the world of dementia, we don't really know how to measure it. And so I always say, well, she has a couple of medications. She takes them religiously. And we're trying a couple of other things that on some medical planes have proven to be successful in some test studies. And we're going in those directions, too. We're trying all of the things that are at our disposal. And that's how we're doing it. And one of the things that we look for in this journey is we look for benchmarks, things that decide whether we're moving in one direction or another. And if something hits that benchmark, then we say to ourselves, well, then what does that mean? What does this benchmark mean? Is this, this is a bad thing? Is this a not so bad thing? Is this a, a to be expected thing? And I, I bring up all this because the barometer for which we use to measure these things is very haphazard. And I was really almost aghast early in this process, as early really as January 2019, shortly after her diagnosis, really how much we don't know about this. And so as we go on 
our quest to find information to better prepare ourselves for what is about to happen. And at the same time, we're always on the lookout and always harboring hope that, like a COVID vaccine, that more and more things are going to be available and approachable for us to use in her journey. But the other day I was working in the studio and I was in another Zoom call and she came downstairs to say she was going to go for a walk. And I said, great, because I had mentioned to her earlier in the morning, even though it was cold, it was blazingly sunny. And I said, you know, really, I would suggest bundle up, get some fresh air, go out there and go for a walk because she has a set number of routes that she normally goes on. And if there's an issue, then I kind of know where the routes are and then, you know, I can locate her or maybe if I have some downtime, I can join her. So she said, yeah, I'm going to go out for this walk. And I got kind of involved with various things here on the business front and an amount of time had passed and it just seemed odd to me because normally I would hear the front door open above me and I would hear some steps going across and I didn't hear any of those things. So I took a quick break and I sort of sauntered upstairs and I looked out the window and it was just a beautiful day, like not a cloud in the sky. And I looked up and down the street and really she had been, uh, she was going to wear her long Cleveland Indians parka and I didn't see the red and blue parka anywhere on the street. So I figured, oh, maybe she was just really enjoying her walk or sometimes she might see somebody outside and she'll stop and talk and and that walk can almost double in its duration. So I wasn't particularly worried, but I went downstairs and I have this method, this almost trained intuition about time. And it really stems from being a disc jockey, you know, for a long time, for many years, where I would play songs and I would hit a song either on a disc or a compact disc or on a tape, and I would have to run to the restroom. And a lot of times early in my career, I was working in these studios overnight, back when radio stations actually hired people to work overnight. And I would be the only one in the building. And so I would run back to the restroom to use the restroom. And I knew kind of in my head, well, the song that I just started was five minutes and 15 seconds long. And of course, there was a speaker in the bathroom and I would kind of know where the song was in terms of its duration because I was familiar with the song. But if it wasn't a song that I was particularly familiar with and I would know, okay, in my head, it feels like two minutes of this song has sort of gone by. So I, <laughs> I probably should start to wrap things up here. And I've been caught on a couple of occasions where I'm sprinting back to the on-air studio pushing the door open in a flying burst of fury to run around to the console to hit the on button on the next song as I'm hearing the winding strains of the current song almost going to silence because I'd waited too long and my little interior clock had notified me that you better get a move on it because that song is ending. And so there was nobody to hit the next song. And so the one thing that you did not want as a disc jockey was dead air. 
You just did not want it. That spelled damnation and eternal hellfire. And so I have this little clock in my medulla somewhere that is trained. It's tucked away in there. And it tells me something time-wise is not right. And when I went back down to the studio to work, as I was engrossed in doing some writing and then I was doing some editing, and all of a sudden, something just didn't seem quite right to me. And I turned to my right and I looked that I had a text. And on my phone, my texts are silent. There's no vibration and there's no sound because sometimes with the phone here in the studio and I'm working or talking, I don't want any phone notifications going off and ruining my recording. So a lot of times in order for me to see a text, I have to actually look at the screen and there was a text. And the text from her was, can you come and get me? I raced upstairs and as I was racing up the stairs, I felt the phone jiggle because I took it off silent and put it on vibration. And as I was racing upstairs, I looked at the phone and it said, I'm on Newton. And Newton is a street right down at the bottom of our hill. And then I received another one as I was grabbing the keys to the car and running out to the car and running back downstairs through the garage so that I could get to the car and try to find her. And my heart was like beating a little bit in my chest, like I was a little bit worried. And the next text said, my phone is on 1%. It's going to die. And I thought, okay, this phone cannot die. Because I really have no idea where she is. But she said she was on Newton. So I went to the bottom of the hill. I drove up Newton. And then I realized, one, I didn't take my driver's license with me. And two, I had the wrong glasses on. I have two pairs of glasses here. One is just a regular pair of glasses that have a bifocal prescription. And the other pair of glasses is just a set of frames. And in the frames are the bifocal prescription only so that I can sit in front of computers without having to tilt my head up so that I can see the screen through the bifocal prescription. I can just look through a pair of glasses that has only a bifocal prescription and this aids me in sitting in front of computers. Now, the further I get away from the computer, the less I can see because this is a close-up prescription. I had brought my bifocal prescription with me to drive. So I really couldn't see hardly anything in front of me. So I had a lot of obstacles facing me. So I thought, well, rather than text her, I can, I'm going to use the 1% on her phone and I'm going to call. So I called her up and I said, where are you? She says, I'm on Newton. And I said, no, I've just went up and down Newton. I don't see you. Well, I'm by a freeway. You're by a freeway. Yeah, there's a freeway going near me. I see cars underneath me on the freeway. And I thought, great, 
She's near I-76, which is right down the street. So I backtracked and went the other way on Newton. And I went out to the main drag and I went over top 76 and there was nowhere to be found. So I'm still talking to her on the phone. She goes, my phone is going to die. And I said, I know. We need to find you before your phone dies. I'm not seeing you. So I was at the other end of the neighborhood moving into the next neighborhood on the other side of the interstate. And so finally she said, I'm just going to walk up to somebody's house and I'm just going to knock on the door and I'm going to ask them, where am I? Because she really had no idea where she was. I know we both have read these horror stories. And I know in our semi-annual meetings, we hear these stories about people with dementia who wander off. And they wander off and they don't know where they are. And they can't get a grasp as to which direction they're in. All she could tell me was that there were flashing lights. And finally, really, in a burst of really amazing wisdom on her part, she said, I'm going to walk across this street. Because on this street, in front of her, there was no sign on the pole, like somebody had ripped it down. But on the far side of the curb, she saw a sign and she raced across the street in front of traffic. It's a fairly busy street. And she said, I'm on Monroe. And right then, I knew where she was. And then right then, her phone died. When we were riding back, I said to her, why would you choose a route that you've never walked before? Why would you go down a street and keep going and going and going almost a mile in one direction, which is something that she rarely does, on a portion of a street that has no sidewalks to walk on? And to walk on a street that is really relatively busy, a street that crosses over from Akron into Talmadge in both directions. And she said, I really don't know. I was just walking. And I guess I just wasn't paying attention. When I got to what was the corner of Newton and Monroe, I all of a sudden didn't know where I was. I didn't know which way to turn. And I thought if I went in one direction, then I might be even more topsy-turvy than the way I felt. I didn't know where I was. I guess most of us would think, well, why don't I just retrace my steps and go back where I was? But as I'm learning, in the world of dementia, these things always are not so readily apparent. 
and that things are very much in the now. And luckily, for us, that 1% was enough to enable us to find each other. And it really wasn't just me finding her, it was her enabling me to find her. It was really her finding me by taking that chance to go across the street and to stare at that sign. And really, to keep going. And I'm really grateful that she kept going, that she didn't give up. That she just didn't continue to say, I don't know. And to me, I'm really grateful for her strength. I'm really grateful for that 1% of power <laughs> that was left in her phone. Because that 1% of power was enough for, well, it was enough to avoid a catastrophe. Because I was enough in the dark, even though that particular area of town is not too terribly far from me, based on her description, I couldn't finagle a solution. And I'm generally very, very good with direction. I'm generally very, very good with landmarks. I really actually enjoy giving people directions to somewhere because I think I'm pretty good at it. But I was almost in a panic state because I thought if her phone dies, then I'm going to be going up and down streets. And the only worst thing. Is had it been 20 degrees colder and the day being on the cusp of sunset. And what played in our favor was an enormously gorgeous sunny day with lots of daylight left due to the time change. So I'm grateful for the time change. I'm grateful for the 1%. I'm grateful for her strength in continuing to not give up and to want to be found. And while those things may seem small to you, in the world of dementia, what I'm learning is that these small things are sometimes really, really big things. And so for those things, I'm grateful. So if your mate, your loved one, your family member, your friend, has the capacity to find their way on their own, be grateful for it. And if your friend, loved one, family member is having trouble finding their way on their own and they have one of those little victories, then you should be grateful for that as well. I know I am. I don't know what this is supposed to mean exactly, but. The Gratitude Journal podcast is up to over 7,500 downloads. So I don't know whether that's good or bad, but I don't know, 7,500, any number seems pretty good to me. So <laughs> I'm grateful that you download and listen and that hopefully that you're not just listening to me ramble on, but hopefully that it's maybe moving you a little bit in the direction of trying to find 
a little more gratitude in the everyday occurrences in your life, as I'm trying to do as well. And I think that can only be a good thing. So regardless of the platform where you download and listen to the Gratitude Journal, I'm very grateful for you. Until then, stay warm, stay safe. And I imagine the next time we talk will be even closer to baseball season. And I will be accompanying my better half on all her walks <laughs> from now on with a full phone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. <laughs>